Well, good morning, Sailorville. As Pastor Brad invited you, you can go to Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 4 as we round the horn toward the conclusion of this series. Uh, throughout the book of Philippians, we've titled the, the Joyful Life. And we're talking today about the subject, the elusive subject of contentment. Philippians 4 is really an Instagram bonanza. <laughs> you've got all kinds of verses that you can use and you've seen posted and you've sent to others. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And where Pastor Kurt was the other day, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. And then where we are in our text today, verses 10 through 13, where Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation, circumstance I'm in to be content. Another post. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Being confident of that. And then, of course, verse 19, where he says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But it's much more than just an Instagram post all over the place. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul, if he saw what, you know, Philippians 4.13, people have it tattooed on them. They've got it put in their uh, weight rooms and in locker rooms. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think if Paul could see that out of context, he'd go, what is this all about? Because that's not what he was thinking. I can guarantee you that here in this passage. Uh, speaking of this passage, these last several verses in Philippians are kind of like a big thank you from Paul to the Philippians. Though he doesn't really quite come out and say, thanks. Have you ever noticed when you read through the Bible, in a particular way the New Testament, you will never find a person-to-person -person thank you? In fact, if you study the doctrine of thanksgiving in the Bible, you'll find that virtually every expression of gratitude and thanksgiving in the Bible is either directly or indirectly referring to God. Even the Philippians, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, it's not to say you shouldn't say thank you to one another, but apparently in the first century, that was sort of a rarity, that a, if you were friends with somebody, it was sort of assumed that you were grateful. In fact, this is a, an excerpt from a letter from Charis to his friend Dionysius in 58 AD, so almost the exact time frame as Paul writing to the Philippians. Here's what he wrote. I may dispense with writing to you with a great show of thanks for it is to those who are not friends that we must give thanks in words. Which is kind of funny because just the other day, my wife went over to our neighbors. We have neighbors. We actually neighbor with our neighbors. I mean, they are uh, the neatest people. They, we, when I'm gone, uh, he mows my yard and vice versa. We check each other's house, pick up each other's mail, plow each other's driveways. And being gone uh, on a ministry trip a week ago, he plowed my driveway a couple of times. Marilyn shows up with a pizza and a gift certificate, and he, she says, thank you so much, as she hands it to him. He looked at her and goes, don't say thanks. So apparently, he, he understood this culture. And I knew, we knew what he was saying. Hey, we're neighbors. You do the same thing for me. But these verses of Scripture that I just alluded to, they're more than just power verses. 
And they actually found themselves within the context of a real-life situation. In fact, not just real life, life and death situation. Paul is in prison. He's in Rome, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Philippi, where he's writing the letter. And he is under the, the necessity. He needs outside help. Remember, we said this a couple of months ago. If you, back in Bible times, you, the the, the prison system didn't take care of you. You had to have family and friends who give you food and clothing. And so the Philippians had dispatched a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. Remember that? He comes, he's going there to give food and clothing to Paul, but he got sick. Chapter 2 says he nearly died. He didn't get there. The Philippians were sick. Paul was sick. Epaphroditus was sick. Everybody was sick. Sick with worry or actually sick. And so the occasion here is Paul, he's writing back to the Philippians. He says, hey, Chill. He got here. I'm okay. I got the provision. Everything's nice. In fact, verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you didn't have opportunity. In other words, it, it just wasn't there. He's here. I'm taken care of. Everything's okay. But that actually gives Paul another opportunity to sort of set the record straight. He doesn't want the Philippians thinking, Man, I would not have been content if it wasn't for Epaphroditus showing up and helping me out. No, he sets the record straight with some very familiar verses. That's the context. That's the frame, okay? Now the verses beginning in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For, watch this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, and hunger rather, abundance and need. I can do all things in him. That's how it should be translated. In him who strengthens me. Now, can I get a witness that contentment is an elusive thing? It really is. I mean, it's something that it seems like few people really experience. But Christians, it should be a normal thing for those who are real followers of Jesus. The very idea of contentment taught in various places in the Bible almost has an inextricable tie-in to money, interestingly enough. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4 or rather, actually, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says as much when it says, godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. And the writer of Hebrews says, free yourselves up from the love of money and be content. And of course, John the Baptist, not one to beat around the bush, told the Roman soldiers who inquired of him, be content with your wages. So it seems to always have this tie-in with, you know, with our financial gain, wealth, whatever. And it doesn't really matter if your contentment or lack thereof is, whether it's tied into money or your health or your family situation that you're in, your love life or lack thereof. God has called us who are true, born-again Christians to be content as a witness to the world that, believe me, is watching to see if it's real. 
So, look back at the verses again. I, wa- I want you to see where the God led me personally as I studied this to what I have underlined for you here. Look how Paul is talking in the, around the subject of contentment. He says, I have learned, I know, I know, in any and every circumstance, I have learned. Now, what does all that verbiage tell you? What does all that wording say? It speak, what does it speak of? It speaks of experience, doesn't it? Doesn't it speak of experience? Of course it does. That's exactly what it speaks of. And it also speaks of wisdom. Wisdom is not just knowing stuff. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. You want to know what wisdom is? That's what it is. It's knowledge put into practice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, knowledge by itself just puffs people up. But knowledge put into practice, that's wisdom. I got a request from a really dear pastor friend of mine out in California here recently. He's a bivocational pastor. Where he's living is a very high-end area. It, It takes a a lot of money just to make ends meet, so he has another job on the side as a business coach. He's a, he was a very successful businessman when God called him into the ministry. And uh, so he, uh, he's also now a business coach, and he asked me if I would write up a character reference for him. I was only more than happy to do so. And this is what I wrote. This is exactly as it appears on his website. There are two things that will raise one business coach above the other. Knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information attained. Wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge rightly. King Solomon said as much when he wrote, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. I would add, have you ever read that? That's what, and I name the individual, does. He brings his clients the knowledge they need and the wisdom to rightly apply it. The Apostle Paul was an experienced, wise man. If my calculations are correct, he's somewhere between 55 and 58 years old, and he has been ministering, he has been an apostle, he has been pastoring all these churches for 30 years. 30 years! That's why he can say, When we put these verses back up, that's why you can say, I know, I know, I I understand that in any and every circumstance, I have learned. And he says it again, I've learned. Who, Who talks like that? Somebody who has been there and done that. We have a couple of sons that are in the very early stages of pursuing ministry, if they, if they had a conversation with you and said, I've learned, I know, I know, and any and every circumstances I've learned, you'd laugh them out of the room, and rightly so. They don't have the experience. They haven't had the time. It's not there. It's not because they're ungodly. It's not because they're not walking with God. They just, it's, it's not there. This is, this is the voice of experience. Now, every so often, God does raise up mighty men of God in their youth who just bust onto the scene and just do great things, great exploits, and uh, have great results, and they do it over time. They show integrity. They have great humility. The likes of Billy Graham, Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, John Piper, Tim Keller, Haddon Robinson, R.C. Sproul, and a hundred years before them, 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who became a pastor when he was 17 years old. Such men, either old or now gone, have and had stories. Boy, they, can, they tell stories of, being, of struggling with uh, oppression and opposition and temptation to capitulate, to give in to power-mongering or abuse of their power or lust. But God has been gracious to carry them through. And sadly, there are many men in their youth to this present hour who cannot handle meteoric stardom. They start believing their own press reports. They think themselves more highly than they ought to think. And they fall into the temptations of sex and pornography and abuse of power, alcohol, drugs, and heresy. And you know who some of these men are. I'm not going to name them all. One recently fell in Chicago after about 30 years of ministry. All of them seem to have this much in common that I can tell. All of them seem to get into a place of self-sufficiency. They're not asking for outside help. They're not listening to the people speaking into their lives. Let me tell you something. If you are self-sufficient, that fuel won't last long. By the way, fascinating word here, the word content. You see it there. The word content, it's the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. It literally means self-sufficient. Like I just shot myself in the foot. It's, that's what it means. It means self-sufficient. Except that Paul didn't mean he was self-sufficient. You know that this is where the context comes in. Remember he says, I can do all things through Christ, right? Who strengthens me. The preponderance of Paul's writings show he wasn't trusting in himself. He, he was God-sufficient. But the word does mean self-sufficient. That's why you have to be careful about just isolating words. The word content also means, ready for this? It means to be satisfied. It means to be satisfied. You ever met somebody who was never satisfied? Don't point fingers. Ever had a mom that was never satisfied? A dad that was never satisfied? You could never do enough. The job was never done well enough to satisfy them. Self-sufficient people are just the other. They're, all, they're, they're, they're quite happy with themselves. Experientially, 30 years now, Paul has lived long enough to see the gamut of highs and lows. And he mentions them here. Do you see the wording? Brought low, abound, plenty, hunger, abundance, need. And when we read the story of Paul in the book of Acts, we see more needs than we do abundance. But he says, he's telling you, I've had the highs, I've had the lows, I've had the ups, I've had the downs. He's telling you that because for Paul, he was content in all circumstances. Watch this, watch this. Because his contentment was independent of his circumstances. That's why he goes through this gamut. Here's how he put it. This is, this is a verse worth memorizing. Not that we are sufficient in, our, in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. Amen? That was Paul's motto. So while he uses a word which means to be self-sufficient, you can see here in another text, he, he wasn't contradicting himself. He was a God-sufficient man. So contentment. 
What do we get out of, how do we get contentment out of this? What's the teaching on contentment from this passage? Well, the first teaching I see is it's learned over time. It's learned over time. You see what he says? I have learned. He says it twice. The Greek literally says, I have come to learn. I went to school. That's where you learn. By the way, another famous passage of Scripture some of you are familiar with is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's the famous passage where Paul says, I had this thorn in my flesh, and I beseech the Lord three times to take it away from me. And he said, Paul, my what? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength's made perfect in your weakness, so glorify God in your infirmities. And that's cool. When we read that passage, we tend to think in our minds that Paul was writing to the Corinthians having a current experience. See, this is, I mean, it's like I just asked Jesus three times, to take this. I, got this, I got this malady I'm dealing with. I'm asking him to take it away from me. He hasn't done it. He tells me, he tells me to get along with my grace that I give you. Problem is, if it's not a problem. This is what really makes this powerful. If you read the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 says, Paul says, all that took place, ready for this, 14 years earlier. He says, I know a man in Christ 14 years early saw this great vision, but God, in order to keep me humble, allowed me to be incapacitated or something. I had this thorn in my flesh, and that's how I got the grace of God. All that took place in Paul's life 14 years earlier than when he wrote about it. Here's the point. He learned that over time. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Transforming Grace, writes these words. He says, Paul was no ivory tower theologian. He didn't write from the comfortable confines of a minister's study or a counselor's office. He wrote from raw experience because he had been there. The anguish he experienced was real anguish. The grace he received was real grace. So time. Contentment is learned over time. And time is a beautiful thing. It doesn't look real beautiful on some of you, but it's a beautiful thing. And Solomon said as much, right? He makes all things beautiful, what? In his time including the beauty of a contented life. Look, you want to know why Pastor Kurt's office has 15 couples deep outside the door trying to get in to talk to him? Why is that? Is it because he has an advanced psychological degree? Is it because he has a PhD in biblical counseling? Is it because he's ACBC certified? He's not. We got, a, we got a youth director who's ACBC certified. Kick Kurt out and stick him in there. We'd save some money. I'm thinking they wouldn't be stacking up. Why? Something wrong with our, our, our ACBC certified youth director? No. He doesn't have the time. He hasn't had the experience. He doesn't have all of that. What pastor, what's he got? What's Kurt got? He's got 45 years of pouring himself into the word of God and pouring it out into people's lives and into their hearts and helping them. That's what he's got and a ton of character to back it up. This is a thing 
that takes time. And I know what some of you are thinking, jeez, well, I haven't learned all that yet. Well, give it time. Stay in school, because that's where you learn, right? Stay in school. That's what you were told. Stay in school. Now, it might be the school of hard knocks, but you stay in school, spiritually speaking, walk with Jesus, and in time, you'll learn the secret of contentment. Secondly, it's circumstantially forged. And he says as much. Look at the text. Look what he says. Whatever situation, in any and every circumstance, that's, he's taking you in without getting, without specificity, he's taking you into the experiences of his life. Doesn't have time to explode all those onto the Philippians now. You got to read the book of Acts. You got to read other accounts. But again, whatever situation, in every and any circumstance, we need situations in our lives. We need circumstances. We need times we get slapped around, we get cut up, we get stomped on, whatever it takes for God to forge in us a life of contentment. Now Peter, understanding this, told his suffering readers In this, we rejoice. Now watch this. Though now, that's presently. For a little while, that's temporarily. If necessary, that's necessarily. You're grieved by various trials. By the way, mark your trial. You can put this outline. Every trial is presently, temporarily, and necessarily given. Why? So that God can forge you into the image of his son, and to become a contented man or woman, boy or girl. Now, boys and girls don't normally come off as contented, but they can. You can start trajectorying in that particular way. But they're all given. These trials that we experience are given to us. Paul's already said this in Philippians chapter 1. It has been granted unto you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. All, they are all what I would call forging mechanisms in our lives to produce a contented life. I was sick all last week. I mean, in fact, I was so sick. I was down for the count. I got whatever everybody's been getting, fever, chills. It was bad. I thought I was getting better. Then it got worse again. I called up Chuck. He's on for next week. I said, you might have to go ahead of me. I said, my... my uh, my, my run's going to be, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my, my run of preaching, which I've, by the way, I've preached 32 years, and I've never missed a Sunday because I was sick, ever. And then I thought, this might be a pride mechanism. God might be doing something here. The psalmist said, it's good that I've been afflicted. Have you ever read that? that I might, well, what do you know? Learn your statutes. They are circumstantially forged in our lives. So you have to accept those things and come under the authority of the Lord. And finally, contentment is the secret known only to those who are in Christ. In fact, he uses the word secret. Did you see that there? He says, at the end of verse, uh, is it 12, I think it is. Sure. I have learned the secret 
of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The secret. This is an interesting word. This is the only time this word ever appears in the New Testament. And it's, it's a word that Paul borrowed from the cults of that day. The cults. Those who would suck you into their false religious system. It was a word that meant just exactly what you think. I mean, secret, I, I want in on this. They, they would cause that, they would, cause, they would create this little secret society, so to speak, religious or otherwise, and cause you to say, I, I, want, I want in. I don't like to be the guy outside. I want to know. Paul says, I like that word. I'm going to put it into our doctrine. Because when you are living for Jesus Christ and you understand what he means when he says in verse 13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Others see it, they want in. That's the idea here. Just the other day, a young woman in our church called me up and told me about what was going on. It's a crazy story, cool story. She's that little little boy's basketball get-together thing, and a woman walked up to her who she'd seen, but she had never even had a personal encounter, never even exchanged greetings with her. But she'd been around because she had a kid there, and she approached her and just said, I, I need to talk to you, and she just vomited out everything about her life. She had a train wreck of a marriage. Everything's going south. They'd been to the psychologist. They'd been to the counselor. The counselor finally said to him, why don't you pick out one of your friends who's um, got their marriage together and sort of see what you admire about them? They didn't have any friends like that. So she's been noticing the, the young woman in our church interact with her husband, interact with her kids, interact with her other friends that were there, and she walked up and just exposed her entire life to her. What was she saying? What was she saying? You have a secret. I want in. Anybody looking at you? Well, no, that's not even a question. People are looking at you. Do they want in? That's the question. Do they want in? And the secret is in, in Christ. I can do all things, your Bible say through, the better word is in. It's actually the Greek word, en, pronounced in, sometimes translated in, sometimes translated through, but in this case it certainly means in, and it should be translated as such. The other day our discipleship pastor, Jason Jackson, conveyed, or actually conducted all the, uh, the, the devotion with the elders, and he asked us a question before we came in. He said, talk to us about discipleship. What's your favorite discipleship pastor, or not pastor, but passage, that brings one to maturity? Well, the very same one that he was thinking of was the one that instantly came to my mind. It's like a package for discipleship. Colossians 1, 28, where God says, or Paul says, him... Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom in order to present every man mature in Christ. And as soon as I got to thinking about that, I mean, a, an outline that could be packaged for a discipleship manual came to my mind. There's proclamation, there's indoctrination, there's application, there's affirmation, and then there's cooperation. 
I saw that when Jason introduced the next text, which says this, For it, this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the idea of Philippians 4.13. The power that Paul has, the strength he has, isn't to do great exploits. Read the text. Read the context. He's not talking about, I started 15 churches and I've done this and done. No, he's talking about surviving ups and downs in life. That's the, endurance is what he's talking about here. I can endure all things, basically, is what he's saying. But it's in Christ that he's able to do it with. He's concluding, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The secret to contentment, this is, what we, this is what we concluded in our study the other day. The secret to contentment is not Christ and you, but Christ in you. It's not you and me, you and me, Jesus, we'll do it together. No, it's Christ in you taking over your life. That's the secret, and when it's happening in your life, I'm telling you, people are want to are wanna be in on the secret. William Randolph Hearst, the great publisher, wealthy guy, California, dispatched his, one of his agents to go around the world and find a certain piece of art. He was a big art collector. So the agent went, searched everywhere, and found the exact piece of art that Hearst had dispatched him to find. And you know where he found it? Amongst the artifacts in Hearst's own collection. Went all around the world, and it was right there under his nose. And some of you are discontented in your life. You're not content. You're not sufficient in God. You're not satisfied in him. You're looking everywhere else, and it's right under your nose. It's in Jesus. And as we come to the Lord's table and conclude our time today, remember the word contentment has two basic meanings. It means to be sufficient or self-sufficient, and it means to satisfy. Remember that? Wow. There was only one man who ever lived that was self-sufficient in himself, and that was Jesus Christ. Only one. And there was only one man who ever lived that could satisfy all of the righteous demands of God our Father and absorb the wrath of our sins in himself on the cross, and that was Jesus Christ. And both those thoughts are conveyed in the symbols of the bread and the juice. If we are in Christ, walking in him, learning, allowing the Spirit of God to forge us through these circumstances in our lives, then we'll know contentment. And others are going to want in on the secret. Is that happening in your life? Or are you even in Christ? Some of you are still outsiders looking in. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Trust his death and resurrection for you. And you will be saved. And you can begin the pathway 
to contentment. Father, we thank you so much for our time in your word in this great book of Philippians and this great challenge toward contentment. I pray for those who are outside of Jesus that today they would find their salvation in him, in the one who sufficed, who lived the perfect life, didn't need outside help, yet submitted himself to you, and then would die and become the very satisfaction of you. His death was satisfying to you and brought us salvation. I pray that if that's you, dear friend, and you don't know Jesus, you're humble, you understand your sin, you know Christ died and rose for you, would you just humble your heart right now and cry out to Jesus for forgiveness? And if you're a true follower of Jesus, Ask yourself during this communion time, am I learning? Am I moving toward contentment? God, we ask that you do some special things in our hearts during this time of reflection. In Jesus' name, amen.